This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. A lot of you, like me, remember the classic film The Graduate. And Dustin Hoffman, who is supposedly just graduating, gets some very profound advice. It all boils down to just one word. Plastics. I just want to say one word to you. Just one word. Yes, sir. Are you listening? Yes, sir, you. Plastics. Exactly how do you mean? There's a great future in plastics. Think about it. Will you think about it? Yes, I will. Enough said. That's a deal. Well, had Dustin Hoffman listened to that advice back in 1969, he might have been a very wealthy man. I have a feeling Dustin Hoffman did okay for himself anyway, but that character, Benjamin, would have done really well because plastic is everywhere. You might remember a few months ago, we tried to interview, well, no, we interviewed A.J. Jacobs, who tried to go a day without using or encountering plastic. Couldn't do it. He couldn't do it because plastic, which was nowhere a couple of hundred years ago, literally, is now everywhere. It's holding what we drink. It's holding what we eat. It's in our clothing. It's on the floor. It's everywhere. Now, is that a problem? If so, what do we do about it? Well, there was a really interesting op-ed in The Hill recently. Headline, Recycling Won't Solve the Plastic Problem. Here's What Will. The author of that very interesting piece is somebody who's pretty accomplished. Professor, lawyer, scientist, author of the award-winning book, Our Plastic Problem and How to Solve It. Very pleased to welcome to the program Sarah Morath. Sarah, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and all the other adjacent holidays. Well, thank you for having me, and thank you for that kind introduction. Uh, so how much plastic is out there in the world, as far as we know, Sarah, at this point? Uh, there are millions of pounds of plastic that are generated and produced um, daily. And the amount that we're generating right now is expected to double by the year twenty. 40. So um, if we have 700 million metric tons entering right now, we can just expect that to double by the year 2040. And how does that compare to the way things were, I don't know, 100 years ago? Well, 100 years ago, uh, plastic was still mostly in the laboratory. Um, plastic was 
is a man-made synthetic material that was um, designed early on as a replacement for ivory, actually. So a lot of products that were used like billiard balls and combs that were um, made of ivory uh, were replaced with sort of plastic um, products, essentially, uh, the earlier, the early version of plastic products that we have today. Um, and so plastic really began to develop in laboratories during World War One and World War Two, and was used in a lot of um, products that were used in the wartime effort. So nylons, you know, nylon mm-hmm. pantyhose, mm-hmm. that became, you know, incorporated into things like parachutes, um, plexiglass used in windshields for planes, much lighter and durable. And so um, it really was the wartime effort that spurred a lot of research and innovation around man-made synthetic plastics. Um, and, and so yeah. why is that a problem? The headline of your, or the, the title of your book is Our Plastic Problem. Why is it a problem that there's all these millions of tons of plastic everywhere and we're producing more and more each week and the rate that we're producing at is, is only going to go up? What's the big deal? The big deal is that we don't have, um, a, it, it persists in our environment. It doesn't biodegrade, it just degrades. It gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And so you are creating or we are creating and using um, products that are going to stay in our environment for hundreds of years. And because plastic is a new product, we don't really know how long <laughs> it's going to last in our mm. environment. But we know that, you know, researchers have found plastic from you know, 30 or 40 years ago, and they can identify them just from the markings um, on, on the plastic. They can identify what the product is. Um, and so the problem is that it persists our envir- in our environment, and we don't have an adequate way of sort of recycling it or, or incorporating it back into a useful product. So we're basically, you know, when you think about um, uh, a product, it's, it's make, use, dispose, and that's what we're doing with plastic. And it's so much, so much <laughs> plastic. We use it in everything mm. that we're just sort of, you know, pushing it out into the environment with not really thinking about um, how much is going into the environment and adequately thinking about reusing it. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Sarah Morath. She's the author of the book, Our Plastic Problem and How to Solve It. Now, um, you mentioned how the amount of plastic we're producing is pretty massive. There's really no precedent for this level of plastic production in human history, and there's going to be a whole lot more of it pretty soon. It was interesting that you said a second ago that recycling, or I don't remember the word you used, but you said essentially that there's no real way to recycle this. Now, I'm really into taking cans and bottles to the grocer and getting the the money back for the bottle redemption. Now, they do let you recycle plastic bottles for things like water bottles, soda bottles. In my mind, and I think in the minds of a lot of people that do this, they mash these little bottles up into a million little plastic pieces, and then they use that those million little plastic pieces to make other plastic products. Is that not what happens? Why isn't recycling helping solve the plastic problem? So you know a kind of plastic, plastic bottles, and so plastic bottles are uh, are made of a particular kind of polymer of plastic, um, PET, and it, it's got a number on it. Usually, you, you might be familiar with the chasing arrows and then a number inside of that 
um, chasing arrows mm-hmm. symbol. And um, the one is what the plastic bottles are. And we actually do a pretty good job recycling those those uh, kinds of polymers, those kinds of plastics. But um, I think I've got a statistic like it's around maybe like, you know, um, in the 30s or 40s percent of that kind of plastic gets gets recycled. Now, there's a couple of problems. One is that plastic is not indefinitely recyclable. So as you mash it and crunch it and and melt it and reform form you formulate that plastic bottle, it will eventually become weaker and weaker. The chemical bonds between those polymers will gradually degrade and become weaker and weaker. So even the plastic bottles that can be recycled into other plastic bottles are not indefinitely recyclable, right? There will become a point where they're not really sturdy enough to, to use as a plastic bottle. So lots of plastics are downgraded into other kinds of products. So that's one problem is that it's not indefinitely recyclable. The other problem is that there are many different kinds of polymers of plastic. So we mentioned plastic bottles, but there's things like plastic bags, which are a different kind of plastic Um Plastic utensils, um, the containers like that your uh, orange juice or your margarine might come in. Those kinds of plastics carry a different um, resin identification identification code, so a different number within that chasing arrows um, symbol, and that represents a different polymer. And when you mix those polymers, like a one with a three, or a four and a two, you don't get the same kind of product, right? So you're, you can't make the same product um, when you mix the plastics together. You have to make some other kind of product, and that's that downcycling. Like it gets incorporated into asphalt or other kinds of products. So it's the polymer complexity that makes recycling challenging and um, the fact that the bonds between the chemicals uh, in the plastic polymers will eventually break down to a point where they can't sort of create that good product anymore. I want to get to your solution in just a moment, but uh, well, just one more question on the recycling front, because I, I think a lot of people are curious about this because they see the folks, especially in cities like mine, grabbing all the bottles that are put out for recycling and thinking, okay, good, uh, that at least is being used towards some productive purpose. I came across an article a few years ago that indicated that a lot of the materials, both glass and plastic that we were recycling was being sold to China for them to make things with. And that uh, as of a few years ago, China was all of the sudden much less interested in purchasing our, our recycled materials or our recyclables. Do you have any idea if that's true and where things stand on that front now? Yeah, that is true. Actually, China implemented a policy in 2017, which went into effect in 2018, which um, sort of shut off the trade, the waste trade. So it wasn't just plastic that we were trading with China. It was other kinds of waste like um, paper and aluminum and other kinds of things. But that you're correct in that China no longer is accepting waste from the United States. And so the U.S. has had to find other trade partners um, for materials that we are not managing ourselves in terms of landfilling or incinerating or recycling. So we have other trade partners. I was just reading, getting ready for this interview. I think China 
I'm sorry, Canada and Mexico are big trade partners in terms of the waste trade. So those are countries where we are in agreement with sending some of our waste. But you are correct in that we no longer send our waste to China. Um, And that was a policy that was implemented um, by China about, I guess, now almost five years ago. Um, But it's still going it's still going somewhere. People shouldn't assume it's useless and they should just throw it in the trash. Yeah, no, I would still encourage, especially the plastic bottles, since we're pretty good at recycling plastic bottles, I would still encourage that, um, recycling that. And and so my solution, as we're getting to that part of the interview, would be to kind of um, use less plastic Mm -hmm. and that plastic that you are using to be conscious of the number that is on the plastic and be cognizant that the number, just because there's a recycling symbol, on it doesn't necessarily mean that that plastic is recyclable. It's just a way of identifying the kind of polymer that makes up that plastic. Got it. It's actually, it's called a resin identification code. It was actually created by manufacturers of plastic, not environmentalists, to kind of identify the polymer that goes into the different plastics that are out there. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. When I did a previous segment on plastic, a few of the listeners pushed back at uh, kind of whatever my guest was saying about plastic being such a potentially big problem. Uh, One person, for instance, wrote to me and said, plastics have extended our lives uh, as they've reduced many common surfaces of infection germs, infectious germs. Much of the single-use plastics are used in medicine. Food service is cleaner, too. Uh, Another person wrote to me that plastics replace the use of metals in medicine. Any industries, including in the water bottle that I drink drink from, and in doing so, there's less environmental damage from mining and processing ores. Uh, they're lighter than metals, so they're cheaper, and they use less fuel to transport. You mentioned the issue that I was unaware of with respect to it replacing ivory, and hopefully, maybe that means a few elephants have been saved. Is plastic being unfairly villainized, not just by you, but by the world? Yes. Well, I wouldn't say I'm a plasticator because I think there are some wonderful uses of plastic, particularly in the medical industry mm-hmm. that you mentioned. And in terms of keeping things sanitary and clean, it plastic does a wonderful job. I think the problem that we have is that it is maybe being used unnecessarily in certain products. Or, you know, one thing that we talk about a lot is that plastic makes a lot of the packaging, you know, takes up a lot of packaging. And maybe there's some unnecessary plastic being used in packaging or there's other ways of, um, you know, sending something through through the mail without having all of that bubble wrap or whatever else, you know, we're including in that in Got that um, in that. So you are correct. When we when we switch products out <laughs> and in, um, there's always environmental trade offs. Um, you mentioned plastic being really light and so we can imagine that then the carbon footprint of sort of sending something um that's bottled in plastic instead of glass is going to be significantly less so you're right there are these trade-offs i think the again i would go back to thinking about phasing out unnecessary plastics 
And that's where I would focus my attention first, Got it. as opposed to the critical plastic. Got it. I alluded to the headline of your piece in The Hill, Recycling Won't Solve the Plastic Problem. Here's what will. The uh, title of your book is Our Plastic Problem and How to Solve It. So, Sarah, give us the uh, answer <laughs> to the million-dollar question. How do we solve the plastic problem? Gosh, well, um, I think it's a multi-pronged approach is, is the approach that I take in in, in my book um, as well, and that there there is no silver bullet. I, I think any environmental problem we'd like to have, like this is what we need to do and this will solve all the problems. As I mentioned, there's all of these trade-offs. So I would sort of, you know, my solution would, would be like fo- focusing first on reducing the amount of unnecessary plastics we have. And then when we get to plastics that are critical, um, thinking about whether uh, eliminating the toxicity of that plastic or thinking about the design of that plastic and designing it in a way that is less harmful to the environment when it we're finished using that plastic, for example. Um, so those would be my two main focuses, would be reducing the amount of unnecessary plastic and then thinking creatively about our design of the remaining plastic and, and ways in which it could be um, phasing out harmful chemicals uh, or the persistent chemicals or designing it in a way that could be less harmful um, when we're done using it. So more biodegradable or, um, you know, more s- simplifying the chemicals that go into the plastic so that they can be recycled better um, would be another, I guess, a third solution there, too. Um, so the plastic industry isn't really heavily regulated. So there's all of these chemicals and additives that are going into all of these different kinds of plastics right now. And so if we can simplify those chemicals and additives, it would be a lot easier to recycle plastics um, in the long run. So how do we do it? Is the answer uh, better regulation? And, and what form would that regulation take? Gosh, that's a great question. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's not... Um, it's not a heavily regulated industry. The industry wanted to self-regulate, and that's why we don't have any laws on the books that target plastic specifically. Um, and so there are, isn't a lot of regulation of plastic. But I think it could be through the EPA, um, better uh, monitoring and better reporting of the chemicals that are going into that into that plastic. So right now there isn't any system really to in place to um, – uh, regulate or monitor the kinds of um, chemicals that are being added to all of all of the plastics that we're creating. So, uh, you know, some sort of database or requirement um, from industry to report the kinds of chemicals that are being used um, in really just kind of thinking about simplifying the process. Chemicals are, the, the plastics are so, are not homogenous. There they're, are so many kinds of plastics and that's one of the frustrations to recycling is that there's the impurities and the chemicals of all of the different plastics make it hard to kind of have this system where we can continually recycle plastics. You know, one of the things that we hear uh, a lot of uh pushback from American consumers when there's movement towards things like electric vehicles and other things is they'll inevitably point out, many of them, uh, that why should Americans be making all of these sacrifices and implementing all these regulations when some of the biggest culprits 
India, China, they're not doing the same thing. I could see people raising some of the same concerns when it comes to plastic. Let's say the United States does go in more in towards a an area of regulating plastic, but other countries don't. They keep producing plastic wildly and having it fill up the landfills and having it fill up the oceans that all the countries use. Is there anything that can be done to have the international community cut back on their plastic production? That's a great, a great question, because you are right in that, you know, the U.S. is a big generator of plastic, but so are, so is China and so is India. Um, th- yeah, those are the three big, <laughs> three big countries right there. Um, so, you know, one thing that is happening now, which is, this is, I guess, positive, is that the international community is talking about creating a global treaty to address plastic pollution. And so, um having all of those countries participate, whether or not they sign the treaty is another question, but at least having their voices at, at these meetings um, and at the, you know, the, the sessions where the terms of the treaty are being discussed are, are important. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think it's the same. We see the same problem with, with CO2 emissions. Uh, Why does the U S have to reduce CO2 emissions when China and India are, are large contributors as well? I think it's a global problem and it requires a global solution just like climate change does. And so, um, you know, I think the world looks to the U.S. often. And so we can be a leader in this um, and hopefully other other countries will will join us. They can choose not to. But um, at least the international community at the moment is about a plastic uh, treaty, which, um, you know, covers everything through from the everything throughout the life cycle of plastic. Mm-hmm. So it's a very comprehensive um, discussion that the international compu- community is having right now. Sarah, we're going to have to end it there. I very much appreciate the time. I hope we could chat again. No, I appreciate it as well. Thank you. Thank you. We've been talking with Sarah Morath. Uh, her book is Our Plastic Problem and How to Solve It. If you want to comment on any portion of our discussion, you're welcome to give me a call. 1-800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Vitema Tepinarov Cream 1% is a prescription topical treatment for adults with plaque psoriasis. Do not use if you're allergic to Vitema Cream. The most common side effects, red raised bumps around the hair pores, pain or swelling in the nose and throat, skin rash or irritation, itching and redness, peeling, burning or stinging, headache and flu. Tell your doctor about all the medicines you take and if you're pregnant or plan to be, ask your doctor if Vitema Cream is right for you. You deserve more from your topical. Go to Vitema.com. That's V-T-A-M-A dot com.